Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If the Lord will help me tonight, I want to speak on the thought, all in. Everybody say, all in. (laughs) Excuse me, but I want to ask you, in fact, I want you to ask your neighbor next to you a very important question and tell them they better not lie. Ask them, are you all in? Now look at him and say, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me now. Are you all in? If God help me tonight, I want to speak from this topic out of Acts chapter 5. And it is a text that I don't preach from often. But the Holy Ghost directed me in this persuasion tonight. One thing I love about Wednesday nights is it's a night of discipleship a night of worship, a night of fellowship. Uh, we staying in the ship, right? And it's good to, to examine the word. I had a dear sister and her husband tell me in the hallway a few weeks ago, uh, she said to me, why are Wednesdays so amazing? <laughs> it made my heart feel good to hear her say that because she's hungry for the word of God. She don't come just to be fed. She comes to serve too. Um, but... You know, when people are hungry for the word, there's, there's something that stirs up in you when you are hungry. You know, the Bible said to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so we come here not just to be fed. You know, my primary uh, place as a pastor is to be the primary feeder, leader, and visionary. But I can't rely on just me. You can't rely just on me. You, you know, our teams, when they come to serve, they don't wait till they get here to start worshiping. We worship before we get here. I have my devotion before I get here. The praise team just takes me on up. It adds to where I'm already at. So, you know, I don't wait to be fed. And, and when you sometimes we have to be careful not to make a statement like, I'm going to church to be fed. That's a very selfish almost statement. It's not that we are a selfish people, I don't think that we mean to be, but sometimes we look at it one-sided, what's the church going to do for me? And so it's not about just us being fed, it's about us serving and giving our all to the Lord. Now, I know I'm speaking to a mature church tonight, but again, I want to take you into this text, and we're going to read 11 verses if the Holy Ghost help us to preach, to teach, to treat, whatever he wants. But the Bible says in this passage, in verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Everybody say they sold something. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. 
And Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, just for a moment, I want you just to concentrate real quickly here on this prayer. Father, we ask tonight that you would open our understanding. Give us ear to hear and heart to receive, that we might be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Do a work in me so you can do a work through me and change my heart that I might know the engrafted word of God written on the tables of my spirit. And everybody would say amen. I'm going to ask you a question again, and I'm going to ask you, are you all in? And if your response is yes, say yes. Yes. If it's no, say no. Look at your neighbor and say, don't lie to me. Are you all in? Sometimes we just say things because the crowd is saying things. It's not every week that you hear a message Uh, about Ananias and Sapphira. And before we get into the message, I'm freezing up here. I don't know if anybody's is cold, but you just kind of cut it down or cut it up or cut it or whatever you want to do. I don't want anybody to be too hot and I don't want anybody to be too cold. And if you're too cold, find somebody who's too hot and switch seats with them. (laughs) Anyhow. It's not every week that you hear a message about Ananias and Sapphira. I don't preach from this text as oft, but this text is tough to explain. This text is trouble. And I'm going to break it down if I can tonight because I want you to understand the word of the Lord that this text, in my opinion, is trouble because you just heard the story that Ananias and Sapphira husband and wife, have lied to Peter. But the Bible says that they didn't lie to Peter, they lied to the Holy Ghost. Peter uh, addressed them and said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. So allow me, if I can tonight, to give you the context or the pretext of this story. Because in this particular passage from Acts 4... Leading into Acts chapter 5, Jesus is already gone. Jesus has already ascended back to the Father. That's what the Bible said. And the disciples are now trying to figure out how they're going to do this, how they're going to work together, how they're going to flow together. 
And everybody was supposed to sell in this particular passage. Everyone in the church was supposed to sell all their stuff and then put all the proceeds together in a fund. I'm giving you the, the, this, the, easy, the easy version. And everyone was doing the same thing. Everyone is giving something. Everyone is giving sacrificially. And that's what was happening in this particular uh, uh, area of Scripture. So when they become now to make the report and try to get all the reports together and the money and the funds together, Ananias and his wife Sapphira had this little scheme going, saying, we're going to say that we sold it for this price, but we're going to hide part of the money back, and we're going to say that that's all. And this is what our story is going to be. Now, Sapphira, if they ask you, then I want you to tell them this number. I'm going to tell them this number. I just want to make sure that our story is straight. So when we go in and they ask for the report, we want to be able to say the same thing if we get separated. <laughs> in other words, in, in case this plan that the disciples have conjured up, that everybody sells something to create revenue for our ministry, if this doesn't work out, then we'll still have some cash on the side. If this doesn't work out, we'll still have a plan B. It's wrong because we're going to lie about it. But how many know that all of us like to have a contingency plan? If you follow Dave Ramsey and money-making principles, which I think are his, his stuff is some of the best I've ever seen. Contingency is important. It's go good to have a nest egg. Somebody said, I got the nest but got no egg. <laughs> it's good to have a contingency so there's nothing wrong with having a savings account a retirement account there's nothing wrong with having money you need to have a savings you need to have things set aside sometimes people call that rainy day uh, sometimes people call that's my vacation fund or my Christmas fund I remember working in the bank we had a Christmas funds, and people will be always emptying out their Christmas funds in the middle of the year, you know. I need that money. <laughs> and so it's nothing wrong with having a contingency plan, but the reason the text is hard to explain is because they lied and God killed them. They lied and God killed them. Now, this is not the text you hear a lot of. But when I read this text, and I read it, and I have read it many times through those years, it's a text that scares me. I don't mind God rebuking me. I don't mind God correcting me, convicting me, chastising me, because the Bible says those that he loves, he will chasten. You can even spite me. But killing me, you don't, make it, you don't make it back from that. If God kills you, you ain't coming back. Are you here? You can't, 
come back to repent of anything, you're just dead. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said that he fell dead and they carried him out. He died, and here comes his wife right behind him, three hours later to be exact, telling the same lie, the same story she's telling. And the same men that were hidden in the back room came and got her too and took her out and buried her next to her husband. Now, this is a tough, tough text to explain, but I, I want to help you here tonight to understand. You got to realize that the disciples were trying to build something that God didn't want. The disciples were trying to organize something that God didn't necessarily give his thumbprint to or his affirmation or his validation. God's purpose for the church was never for us to be a communistic or a system of socialism. After the Garden of Eden, God said that we would work by the sweat of our brow. We sow, we reap. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. A man that doesn't work, the Bible said he don't eat. And I could go on and on and on in that theme. But I want you to understand something particular in this text because the disciples are going about this thing the wrong way. Because they're struggling to find who they are in the kingdom of God. Jesus is gone. Their Messiah, who they've walked with for three and a half years, is gone. He's not there for Q&A. He's not there to, for phone a friend. He's not there for them to ask these questions. And they're struggling because God has commissioned them to do a work. And anytime God gives you an opportunity, our, uh, the opportunity, if we're not careful, can be tainted by our history. In other words, we go back to what used to be. We say things like, well, the last church, that church I used to go to. Well, if your church was so good, why'd you leave? Now, come on now. I want you to understand. Opportunity can be tainted by history where you're saying everything I used to be, this is how it used to be. Well, it ain't what it used to be. You've got to be careful that when God gives you an opportunity, you don't taint it by your history. Work with me here. Their history is tied up in the tangible expressions of God. They're used to things like the Feast of Weeks. They're used to celebrations like the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That things that they could physically touch when the children of Israel went into the promised land, there was tangibility there. They could touch the grapes. They could touch the land. They could touch, so they're used to the tangible expressions of God. And so they really wanted Jesus, before he left, to set up a kingdom on the earth, but he didn't set up a kingdom on the earth. And then he puts them in leadership and tells them what he wants them to do. And since Jesus said, 
greater works than these shall you do. Maybe we should just finish what he started. So we're going to rise up in spite of us being oppressed by Rome. We're going to rise up and lead the way we think Jesus thought we should lead. And we're going to rise up and set up this kingdom. Jesus didn't set the Roman people down. He didn't, because he was trying, Jesus was trying to teach them that the kingdom of God is within you. It is not an earthly, tangible kingdom that you're going to be a partaker of. And so since Jesus didn't set up the role, set up a kingdom on earth. And he said that greater works of these shall you do because I go to my father. We're going to rise up and set up the kingdom, not knowing that the kingdom of God is not meat. It's not drink, but it is peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what the Bible says, that the greater works weren't tangible things, but they came from a tangible religion that expressed itself through tangible artifacts. Hear me. And now God is trying to graduate them into a spiritual economy, not a tangible system, but a spiritual economy. And when he takes them up into a spiritual dimension, their understanding is still physicality. They can't separate spiritual from physical. They're trying to set up this kingdom because after all, hadn't John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven, it's at hand. And aren't we tired of being oppressed by these Romans? Isn't it time for us to rise up and take over? Maybe he wants us to finish what he started. We got to pull things together and we got to raise up an offering and we got to get our ministry up and running because Jesus is in here now and the fundraiser is gone. And the disciples were hungry for a tangible expression of faith and I want something I can see. I want something I can build. I don't know why this is happening and why Jesus is not here, but here's the other problem. When Jesus was alive, there were a group of women who supported him. And, and I will say this, that if we didn't have women in the church who have kept many churches' doors open, come on, church, um, it was women, and the Bible bears this out, that it was the women who supported his ministry. Come on now. And people will always support those that they believe in. And Jesus is now dead. And there's no guarantee that the people who supported Jesus will support them. So it's not just a spiritual factor. There's an economic factor here. And there's something in here I want you to see. Put your thinking cap on. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out with an economic strategy. He said, I want you to borrow all the gold and the silver from the Egyptians. And so when they went through the Red Sea, the reason Pharaoh was chasing them 
is he wanted his gold back. He wanted his silver back. Come on. He could always get more slaves, but the problem was the slaves got the money. Come on, somebody. And when they had so much money, you have to read later on in this story that they had so much money. When Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, he had to tell them to stop giving because they had so much Egyptian gold on them that he had to finally say, we don't need any more offerings. Come on. We don't need a, I know there's not many churches preaching that, but I want to say, I don't need any more offerings. And the tabernacle was made out of the gold from Egypt. Can I get an amen there? Do you hear what I'm telling you? The tabernacle was made from the gold of the Egyptians because the Israelites carried all that gold and all that silver and all that raiment out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And God took that gold and allowed it to be used and melted down in order to construct the tabernacle. And here is where we first begin to understand that the wealth of the unjust is laid up for the just. I come to preach tonight to somebody and tell you the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And it's proven right there. The tabernacle was made out of Egyptian gold. God gave them an economic system to start the first kingdom. And all they had to do was, they had to come up with their bylaws, come on, Ten Commandments, judgments, ceremonial washings and cleansing. They had to come all over that. And they begin to understand that they were not just a family, but they came out of Egypt as a nation. So now we're in the New Testament and this is happening again. We've been called out of darkness. We've been called out of sin. We've been called into, Peter said, his marvelous light. But the difference is our Moses has gone and left the reins in the hands of the disciples. And suddenly they recognize they have a kingdom to set up, but ain't nobody got any gold. So it seemed good to them that now's a good time for us to have a financial campaign. What I call a Hagar moment. Are you with me? A Hagar moment is when it doesn't look like God is going to do everything he's supposed to do. And you have to come up with a backup plan to cover God. Mm. Because you've gone so long without a baby that maybe he meant for me, for my nurse to have the baby. That's what you call a Hagar moment. When men try to cover for God. God, you're not moving fast enough for me. I'm not getting the answers back that I want fast enough. And if you're not careful, you will birth an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. And you will regret that you didn't wait on God. Hagar moments are when we try to tell people, well, God told me. Or I was just trusting in the permissive will of God. Listen, 
You are either in the will of God or you are not in the will of God. We try to cover our tracks and cover our steps and try to add God into decisions. And after we've already done a bunch of stuff, then we want to consult with everybody else when we never even heard from God. So they come up with this Hagar moment of an idea and they say, we're going to make this work and we're going to do this because we got to have some kind of money coming in if we're going to fund the ministry. We're going to have to have some kind of economy. But they're still struggling to understand that they're trying to build something and they really don't understand what they're even trying to do. It was not Jesus' plan that you would take all you have and lose all of your individual wealth and uniqueness through socialism. That was never his plan. His plan was seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added. Say added. They shall be added unto who? You. God is a God of addition and multiplication and he wants you to put your hand to the plow, work from the sweat of your brow, use the giftings, the wisdom, the ingenuity and the dream in you to make that thing come to happen, to pass in your life. He said if you seek me first, I'll cause your business to have things added. If you seek me first, I'll cause your ministry to be added to. If you seek me first, First, I'll cause your family to be added to. You have to seek him first and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You need to tell your neighbor, God wants to add to you. So God is saying, if you seek the kingdom first, it's not what I'm going, it's not that I'm not going to bless you. I just want to know that you will express to me that I am your priority. And if you'll make God your priority, he will bless you. Once you seek me, I'm going to seek your vision. Once you seek me, if you underwrite what I'm doing, I'll underwrite what you're doing. If you've got my back, I'll get your back. If you try to bless me, I'll try to bless you. I just want you to go first. That's where faith kicks in, where you bless the Lord first. Amen? So back to our text, the Bible says this, they took part and they hid apart. They took part and they hid part. They said, we can do this with a part of us and not all of us. We can do this with a part of us, but not all of us. We can be partially in and get by. And the Bible said that God killed them. New Testament. Because <laughs> you can't give God part and expect all. Most people have never fully thrown themselves at anything. They've been sliding by all their life, throwing part of their self all their life, hitting at it, slapping the devil, 
throwing half their heart, half of their commitment, half their focus. Can I tell you tonight, you can't throw half and sit with people who gave whole. And all the faithful people are just shouting me down right there. You can't throw half and sit with people who gave whole. This is one of the reasons people feel uncomfortable in a church that honors Christian accountability, faithfulness, fruitfulness, and spiritual alignment. This will make some people run. This is make some people uncomfortable. They, they know they're not doing right, but they want to blend in anyway. They want to hide in the shadows and hope that the light doesn't shine too bright on their lazy ways. Now, it occurred to me that Peter and them are trying to discover what Paul would later pick up on when he talked about the hidden mysteries of God. They will eventually going to figure this out that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not the kingdom of this world, but it is a progressive revelation that was hidden at that time. Later, the apostle Paul would come and he would come by and begin to say, behold, I show you a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. Therefore, the mystery of godliness. He would begin to teach. He's actually talking about five different mysteries that the early church did not understand until the apostle Paul came later and began to bring revelation to the body of Christ. So the Bible says that right now and even those disciples then were seeing through a glass darkly trying Trying to figure God out. We got to get this business. We got to get this ministry thing up on its feet. So we need all of you people to sell that never God told them to do that. When God shows you something, but he don't show you everything. Listen, he tells you to go somewhere, but he doesn't always tell you where to go. Or he says, when you get there, I'm going to show you what to do. And when you're on your way, you're just groping at it and trying to find your way and feeling at it because that's where God is increasing your faith. When you don't understand where he's leading you, when you don't understand what God is doing, and yet you have a promise from the Lord and you're trying to figure the mysteries of God's kingdom out within you. And if he explained it, it wouldn't require faith. So he has you walk by faith. He doesn't let you see everything because he wants you to build your faith. My God, I'm preaching to somebody. The Bible said you don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. So God will put you in a faith situation so you don't see everything, yet you got to throw everything at it, everything at it, even when you can only see it partially. you got to be all in. Ask your neighbor, are you all in? Do not lie to me. When I think about the musicians in this church, well, we got some talented musicians. Drummers, keyboard players, organ players, guitar players, bass players. We don't need any tambourine players at the moment, but <laughs> if we need one, they'll be up here playing it. I've been in church where it was so dangerous, cymbals were flying, hitting me in the head. 
<laughs> Come on now. I love that tambourine too, though. <laughs> I hear somebody stirring. <laughs> One of the first instruments that I learned to play was the bass guitar. My dad bought me an ivory bass guitar. It was a, it was a Gibson guitar, bass guitar. And I mean, that thing... It, it had a little scratches on it, Brother Greg, but it didn't have, any, but it had a good tune. It had a good sound. And I don't care how many people tried to get us to, to sell that bass guitar to them. But my dad played a Martin uh, six-string guitar, acoustic. And he taught me. We sat down together and started playing old hymns. And I learned to play the bass guitar with my dad playing rhythm on the acoustic guitar. And from there, I got to play in church and, I mean, just, you know, had a great time learning how to. And I can play a bass. You all ain't encouraging me at all now. I can play a bass guitar, but I can't play it like Taleon does. And the only reason that I can't play it like her is because I didn't go all in. It's not that she's a better person than me. It's not even that she's more gifted than me. But it is definitely that she's more committed than me. Because while I was goofing off and acting a fool, she was sitting on that base practicing. She was all in. Tell your neighbor she was all in. And the Lord told me to tell you that the only reason you're not winning is not that you're not good enough. It's not that you're not anointed enough, but it's because you keep only throwing part of yourself in instead of all yourself in. I'm almost done. You might need to turn the air back on now for these folks. I hope you're getting something out of this. Do you know why she can play the bass like that? She gave herself to the bass guitar. And the base gave itself back to her. When the Bible says give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over. That whatever you give to has the potential to give back to you. Oh, can I preach to somebody tonight? And tell you, you're not winning, not because you're not good, but you're not all in. If you get all in, whatever you give yourself, it'll give it back to you. Press down, shaking together, and running over. Do I got anybody that say, I'm all in? Hey. When I think of Lisa Peck, a wonderful, gifted counselor, social worker, she got more degrees than her thermometer. And her professionalism is what it is because it has given itself back to her. If you had not given yourself to it, Lisa, it would not have given back to you a career. Now, I'm a bootleg counselor. I said, I'm a bootleg counselor. They don't pay me. 
They just say thank you. She's on a whole nother level. I can't reap her harvest with my investment and be talking about God's not fair. Because whatever you give yourself to has the potential to give back to you. Can I get an amen from somebody? He is a fair God. He is a worthy God. He is a gift giver. He's a blesser. He'll bless you coming in and bless you going out. But that's not what the problem is. Our problem is we're not committed. Come on, somebody. You don't get to congregate with the committed when you're only taking a small part. Part-time employees don't get full-time benefits. Part-time church members don't get full-time benefits. You got to give all yourself. If you give part of yourself to your marriage, your marriage will only give part of itself to you. If you give part of yourself to your kids, your kids will only give a part to you. If you only give a small part of yourself to the ministry, it will only give you back a small part. The truth of the matter is, have you ever been all in? And you can't be all in when you jump and ship every six months. Your harvest looks like your seed. Your harvest looks like your seed. The Bible said if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. That's why some people want titles. Because titles are really the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira. I want the title, but I don't want the work. I want the ministry, but I don't want the misery associated with it. I want your strategy, but I don't want the struggle. Ananias and Sapphira, everything you could have been will die if you are not all in. Everything you could have been. Wonder who they could have been. They're only in the scriptures to us as a warning. They give us no revelation. They give us no consecration. They make no contribution to our theological understanding except God uses them to warn us what happens when you're not all in. They lied. The truth is, this is the reality in the today's church, and it is a problem. They hid what they should have given, and they saved some for themselves. Some people are never given all of themselves to anything, not even to their relationships. You hold something back just in case you get hurt again. You hold something back so you don't get Wounded again. I'm going to love you, but I'm only going to love you a little bit. Because i got to save a little for me. It's a problem today. It's worse today. As long as you are selfish, you will never be successful. Ananias and Sapphira considered themselves first. And their future died. They considered themselves, what's in it for me? How's this going to make me feel? If it don't feel good, 
I don't think I'm going to do it because I just want to feel good. Honey, who said you always had to feel good? You don't live by feeling. You live by faith. And this is what Peter tells them. Wasn't it yours already? Didn't you already own it? Wasn't it yours when you sold it? And yet you lied about it? I want you to write this down as I close. Take your past and throw it at your future. You got to take your past and throw it at your future. Listen, as I close tonight, when I think of someone who has fought for their future, I think of Pastor Hill right here on the front row. In fact, I worked for him as his youth pastor for years, served up under him in ministry. He's more than a pastor to me. He's a spiritual father. And I have noticed that when a fight comes to him in the spirit and even in ministry where I have served with him, he draws strength, hold on now, from his Kentucky days. <laughs> hold on. This man has pastored two tremendous churches pioneered a church in Hammond, Indiana, outside of Chicago. That's where you start a work from scratch, cut a work out. Pastored a church in Lafayette, Indiana. Both of those churches, 20-plus years each, he has spent over half a century in full-time ministry. But when faced with a trial and faced with tough situations as a pastor, I have watched this man closely. He didn't fight the enemy as some esteemed clergy with honors, degrees, and prestige. I have seen him fight with the enemy from his raise from the holler self, raised at the head of the holler from a place of poverty in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains from a place where they had to scrap for everything that they had, from a place where they had to grow a garden on the side of a rocky mountain just to make ends meet. I have seen this man take on the enemy from his history because he is a fighter and he does not, he knows the devil is not going to play fair. So he knows how to roll up his sleeves and take the devil head on. Don't you let that gentle nature or his white hair and his dapper shoes fool you because he knows how to take his past and throw it into his future and believe that God is able to turn. Oh, I wish I could preach tonight. Tell the devil you don't know who you're fooling with. Tell the devil don't let my appearance fool you. Don't let my calm fool you. Don't let my demeanor fool you. I'll throw a a skillet at you and bust you upside the head. I got to reach back into my past, put on my, my shoes of readiness and fight the good fight as I take my past into my future. I'm all in. I wish I had somebody stand to your feet and say, I'm all in. Hey, I'm all in.
somebody holler to your neighbor and say, I'm all in. Oh, yes. Whatever it takes to get the miracle. Whatever it takes to be free. Whatever it takes to be whole. Whatever it takes to unlock my destiny, I'm all in. Whatever it takes for me to get out of bed, whatever it takes for me to fight the good fight, I may have to reach back into my history. It's not prestigious. It's not full of riches. I come from Kenmore. I come from a place that didn't have much money. I come from a, a one, one income family where we didn't go on big fancy anything and we had to eat what we canned and we had to go to the grocery store and go to the farmer's market and we shopped at Goodwill and Salvation Army. I don't stand here before you tonight to tell you that I'm somebody with a silver spoon. I had to reach into my history. I know how to fight because my fathers know how to fight. I know how to stand in faith because the people who have gone before me have learned how to step in faith. You gotta reach back into your history throw it into your future and believe that God is able to turn it around for you. And when you tell the devil you ain't playing, he'll get nervous and begin to get struggle and demons will tremble. I'm here to tell you every devil in hell is alive. Woo. I come to release a word over you that your ladder is greater than your former. I come to tell you that your latter day is greater than your former day. When you're all in, you're just like Jesus. When Jesus got on the cross, he said, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. Is there anybody all in tonight? I rebuke the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira that's trying to nickel and dime the church to death. I believe that abundance is coming. I believe that God is opening up the heavens. I believe he's raining down blessings upon your house, upon your life. If you're all in, say yay. Oh, yeah, I'm all in, Jesus. Woo, I'm all in, I'm all in. Come on, you need to tell somebody next to you, I'm all in. Come on, say, are you all in? Tell them, don't lie to me. You better be all in. I don't, wanna, I don't want you drop dead in this service. I'm all in. I'm all in. And the reason I can preach about Pastor Hill is because I've seen him live the life. Pastors who serve and feed and lead and give and always worrying about if the people are going to be spiritually growing, concerned about people's welfare. My greatest prayer on my face when I pray for this church and for this family, I pray God, Lord, cause our people to grow. Lord, whatever it takes, make us grow. Lord, make us grow. If it makes me to be uncomfortable, then let it be used to make me grow. If it takes convicting me of sin, then let it be used to make me grow. If it takes me to line up 
then Lord, use it to make me grow. God, I pray for your people tonight that we would not let the nickel and dime spirit, just enough to get by a spirit, come part-time and want full-time blessings spirit to get on this church. I'm praying for mamas and daddies. I'm praying for all these new young couples that have been coming in strong. Who have a desire for God more than the desire of this world. Who have a desire for the things of the Holy Ghost than the desire for the things of this world. My God, it's nothing wrong with having anything nice, but God must come first. And if he's not first, then there's an Ananias and Sapphira spirit loose. That's going to rob you of your future. They dropped dead. They were used as a warning. Never do we hear about their children. Never do we hear about generational seed line. They were used as an example. And the Bible teaches us that they are types and foreshadows in the scripture. And I want this church to realize that God doesn't want us to be part-time in our faith. God wants us to be full-time. He wants us to be all-time. I'm all-time, 24-7. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Never off-duty as a Christian. Never off-duty as a servant. Never off-duty as a sanctified believer. Never off-duty living the holiness life. Never off-duty walking with Jesus. Let us be what you want us to be. And I would just open this house right now for consecration. I want everybody that wants to find a place to pray in this altar, in your seat, wherever. I just want us to have a consecrated moment before the Lord. God, I'm coming to give my all. You may be here and you say, Pastor, I already do a lot. That's okay. God sees what you do. God knows what you do. But you may be here and you're a little struggling in your faith. Or you might be here and you're tired and weary in body. Ain't nothing wrong with admitting that. It's just saying, Lord, I need a touch from you. I want us to consecrate right now. Everybody that will find you a place to pray. In the altar, at your pew, wherever it is. Oh, God, fill my heart. Fill my heart, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 